You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Doc Jock. That is Dr. Mitchell Roslin. I am Greg Sussman. Doc, how are you, sir? I'm doing really, really well today, Greg. There's a lot to, to talk about. NFL, college football, NBA, the college football playoff. Um, really curious uh, to, to, to get your thoughts on a lot of the things that we began to talk about. Um, for example, are we seeing football change? Okay. You, you and I grew up and, you know, it, it was almost like in golf, they'd say, you know, drive for show, putt for dough and... Defense wins championships, and I think we've all begun to question that. But have we now reached the other extreme when we watch the Patriots and Eagles go up and down the field in the Super Bowl? Game only ends when Tom Brady fumbles on a sack. We watch the Rams and the Chiefs go up and down the, the, the field. And then translating into the college game, which to some extent has become a laboratory for the NFL, in as much as people try to deny that point, you watch Michigan ranked number one best defense in the country. What does Ohio State put on? Like 60-some-odd points. Are we in the mood for a shift? And if I hired you to be my general manager today, do you spend more money on offense and, or, and, and just really selectively find your you know, Max or your Aaron Donald, somebody who can make a turnover and spend less money across the board? And, and do you need to build one of these offenses to compete? So I think... I don't know. I don't really know what your answer to the que- your own question is, but for me, the answer is yes. I, I, I in today's NFL, I've never seen defense matter less. Teams cannot stop each other. The most entertaining game of this year was the one that lived up to the hype, right? Kansas City and Los Angeles, and that's what the fans wanted, that's what the NFL wanted, and this is what two of the favorites, really three of the favorites, when you include the New Orleans Saints, are built around offense and their defense it's literally just who has the ball first can we contain these these offenses enough to maybe hold them for a field goal to get the ball back at the end of the game that is all we need to do so if i'm building a team today you are building around the offense which is what makes here in new york very interesting with the giants because they've done just that right like you get the athletic tight end you get the the best running back in the draft arguably the best player in the draft you get one of the best five wide receivers in the national football league the problem is you don't have an offensive line for a qu- or a quarterback to get them the ball uh, efficiently. Also, I think I, I, I watched the Giant game on TV, and Chris Spielman did the color commentary. Yes, I thought they were terrible, to be honest with you. Except he said something that he actually meant as a compliment, and I would <laughs> tend to think that he's accurate about it. He played at Ohio State the same time that Sherman played center at Michigan State, and he referred to Shermer as a grinder. Yeah. Okay. I don't look as I look as a grinder being a complimentary term with my eighth guy or my power <laughs> forward. Okay. Right. I look at a grinder like I wouldn't want my surgeon to be a grinder. Right. I'd want him to be smart and be described the as best, some, the star, someone, uh, somebody different. A grinder, and you know what? Is as bad as they were, he was right because the second half. When you run the ball down the throat of the other team and you have the ball for 20 minutes and then you can't make a big play in the second half, that just shows you can't adjust. You just don't see things happening. 
And do I think the Giants had a decent game plan coming into the game? Yes, but they couldn't adjust. And the same thing, you know, you look at the Jets each year with Todd Bowles. They start out better and they get worse as the year goes along. Then you look at people like Sean Payton who figure it out as the game goes along and makes changes on the fly. You looked at the Giants yesterday. They, they get the Eagles blocked well enough to do things. You know, Beckham was not wrong with what he said. It may not be stylish and classy to say it, but he was not wrong. You have to be wondering where the, you have the world's most talented receiver, you have a running back that nobody can stop, and you can't make one play in the second half. Well, then, so you have a grinder as a coach. So I think it's, it's, it's a funny point you bring up with the grinder because I'm, I'm here and I've actually been the guy as the Giants fan and Frankie yelled at me earlier today because I didn't come in and, and crush Pat Shermer because I don't think he deserves to be crushed because I don't, I don't think, certainly in that first half he got out of coach because he didn't. He had the better game plan going into that game. Now they were facing four backup quarterbacks, no doubt about it, but he had a better game plan going into that game and he dominated. But when it comes to the adjustments in the second half that Doug Peterson made, there was no answer. Now, when brought up today about the comments made about Odell Beckham, Pat Shermer, right or wrong, basically said, what do you want me to do? Yes, I got Saquon, yes, I got Saquon Barkley the ball five times in the second half, and that's unacceptable. I agree with that. But here's what happened. On plays we had designed, penalty. First and 15. Okay. Third down, twice. Penalty, third and 18. Twice. What do you want me to do? Odell Be- plays that were designed for Odell Beckham. The quarterback went to the tight end. What do you want me to do? Now, I get it. He's the head coach, so it all falls on him. But pa- when I look at Pat Shermer, it's funny you use the word grinder because that's exactly what I, what I see in him as well. I don't see an, an innovative mind. I don't see a brainiac wonder kid because he's not that. He is a guy that has had a lot of success in the NFL as a coordinator that has been around forever that is going to fight. I do think people respect him. Players, coaches, teams, analysts, whomever. I think that he is a respectable head coach, unlike Ben McAdoo. But he's a grinder, and he's going to figure it out. Unfortunately, in the second half of this game on Sunday, he did not figure it out, and he got outcoached. Absolutely. So, I, I think that I agree with you. So, if you look at... Have, have the Giants been ready to play? Pretty much every week, yes. yes. Maybe with the exception of the, the Philadelphia first Eagles game. game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do I think that his game plans have been, has he compensated and changed? Yes. I just he's think tried. he's a grinder. I don't think yeah. he's the quickest on the uptake. I think that it was the most pertinent. I, don't, I think Chris Spielman meant it as a compliment. I don't even think he was thinking about it in the same light as what I'm saying. But when I watched him, yes, he is a grinder. And you look at, for example, Belichick was your annoying A student in college and grasped it and studied less than everybody else. Sherma had to like study three weeks to get the test, but was a hardworking guy and he passed his classes. And the problem is he doesn't, he's not capable of making quick adjustments on the uptake. And I think that Todd Bowles has a different issue. Every single year... You know, when they have a long time to prepare, the Jets come out of training camp and they start the season okay. And well, then they get progressively worse as the season goes along. So this is, so this is an interesting point. Todd Bowles, 
obviously a defensive background. We just started the show today talking about how the NFL has changed in a major way. That it's just whose offense is better, who can score the most points. Defense, not an afterthought, but the New Orleans Saints aren't caring really much about their defense. Same with the Rams, same with the Chiefs. Well, interestingly, so do yes I ha- and no. When you go about the Saints, because okay. so and, and and again, this is you take a step back. We all looked at the draft when they traded up to get Marcus Davenport, and you know what they saw in him was a pass rusher. Sure. So they basically said. We want offense and a game record. Now, I'm not sure that Davenport was going to, is going to be a game record, but they actually saw, they saw him as that, so they were willing to pay the price. I think that that makes sense. I think that they are grasping the new NFL. I think they are figuring it out. They've got the back in Kamura. They can pound it a little bit. They you know, have the receivers. They spent a lot of line, money on their offensive line. They're going to find... You know, they drafted well on the cornerback. They'll pick up an Eli Apple. You know, it's really scary that he's good enough to start for the best team in the NFL. But the Giants, you know, you, you know, they, they had to get rid of him quick. They, they, there were a lot of other people they could have jettisoned faster. Um, so I think that they, they, they get it. So, but my question ultimately is, and, and I hear you, and, and, and you're right, but my question ultimately is... You can't forget about Aaron Donald... Sure. Breaking up the game. Or Khalid no, that about it. And the Bears. The, you, you need, well, those guys are the best defensive players in the NFL. Well, and, 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 the best. And, and maybe we always said don't allow a big play. But, you know, again, big plays may not be terrible as long as you can get some on defense. Correct. You know, maybe you have to sell out more and have one of these offenses. Correct. Now, going forward, though, take the Giants off the table. I, I know we're Giants fans. But let's take the Giants off the table because they just, made a, they just have a new head coach. He'll be back next year. And mm-hmm. I think he deserves to be personally. That's fine. All these teams that will fire their head coaches, Tampa Bay, the Jets, the Packers maybe, plenty of others that will fire their head coaches this year. Are any of them or should any of them really look to the defensive side of the ball right now? Probably not. None of them. Probably not. And that's not, a huge but change. again, it's interesting. Take a step back. Okay. Belichick. Defense. Defensive coordinator. Yep. Some of the, and I know it's a very different sport. You know, in baseball, some of your best pitching coaches were catchers, not necessarily pitchers. Best managers are catchers, and, too. And the best managers as well. So sometimes, if you have the right mind, maybe not as much because it's so segregated, but what Belichick always knew about offense was what he wanted to take away on defense. He always And it's, and it's so funny you mention this because... Do you know one, so Eric Mangini actually comes to mind. After he was head coach of the Jets, I believe, or after, after the Browns, the Browns after the Jets, he went to San Francisco and worked on the offensive side of the ball because his entire, his entire background was defense. And the coach in San Francisco, I think it was Chip Kelly at the time, said we want to bring in a defensive specialist working on the offensive side of the ball because he'll know better than anybody how to be successful. So do you know who this year has now tried this exact thing? Who's that? The Cincinnati Bengals when they brought in Hugh Jackson, who's coaching on the defensive side of the ball. Despite having a complete offensive background, the Bengals do not have a defensive coordinator right now. After firing him uh, previously, that was Terrell Austin. Marvin Lewis was calling the plays, but he needed help, so he brought in what he believes is an offensive guru in Hugh Jackson, of all people, to help on the defensive side of the ball. Now, 
that's not exactly the right person, but going along with what you're saying with Belichick, maybe that is a good reason to potentially hire a stud defensive coordinator. Now, I don't know who that is. I, I, don't, I don't know who that is either, and it has to be somebody who thinks differently. And what I would argue is that in past generations, it probably worked better. But now I think that there's such specialization in football that they probably are so segregated that it's difficult to make that transition. But it's really, really interesting, and it goes to the college game, and I know they lost this week, but mm-hmm. Mike Leach in the air raid system, sure, I, mean, I, I mean, you know, and he's a character and a half. Does anybody make the phone call to somebody like him? I mean, basically, every single thing that the Kansas City Chiefs are running is basically widespreads, unbalanced, using the whole field. It, it is all a, der- a derivation of the old run and shoot. 1,000%. And I think that's why Chip Kelly got a job in the NFL a couple of years ago for the, the offensive air raid attack that he ran. And I think that even though Cliff, uh, Cliff Kingsbury was just fired as the head coach over at Texas Tech. David Kingsbury, the uh, quarterback. Cliff. Cliff Clint, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was the quarterback at Texas Tech. Correct, and then he became the, became the head coach. He became the head coach. He was the, one of the original quarterbacks with Leach. Precisely, yes. So he became the head coach, just gets fired. That's a guy that's going to be the perfect offensive coordinator, I think, in the NFL, because he has all of these concepts that work in college football, that, hey, he's a young, bright offensive mind. You throw him in the NFL, if he has a little bit of success— he could be a very good NFL head coach, you know, even though I, he just got fired in college. And it's so funny. They said you know, they used to say about the quarterbacks they can't play under center. No one's playing under center. No one. Uh, the Giants are the only team that moved under center. You know. Oh, is that true? The Rams do too. Jared Goff plays under center once in a while. Yeah, they, all they, the time. Jared Goff plays the majority of his snaps under center. No. And and but I think number one, you're going to see the re. And I know it's strange to say this with everything that's gone on with Levy and Bell, but I think you're going to see the reemergence of the importance of the running back. Um. Possibly a de-emphasis in the diva wide receiver. Okay. Um, and, I, you know, again, I think it really doesn't make a difference where they line up. It, 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 it's really just getting the right people out in space. But I think that Gurley and Kamara certainly make those offensives go. go. And with the Chiefs, I mean, Kareem Hunt's a great back, but they, the, the, the tight end's amazing in Kelsey. So I, I really don't think it makes that much of a difference, but I think they spread the field out, and it's interesting, young quarterbacks can play at a very early time, and I yeah. know, you know, it's strange, we have young and we have old, we have very little in the middle, I guess we have Kirk Cousins, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that are right, right in the middle, but while we've been talking about college, interesting, what do you think the college playoffs, and again, were you surprised that Ohio State put 60 on Michigan? I was, I was, Michigan and Don Brown's defense have been talked about all year long, and I watched this Ohio State team, a team that should have lost to Maryland a week before. And we talked right. about this on the show, that they were one two-point conversion wide open away from beating Ohio State. And this team, and maybe, and maybe it was a tough spot for Ohio State to travel on the road to Maryland where you're clearly looking ahead to Michigan, the biggest game of your season, the only game that matters of your season, uh, one week later. So maybe it was a, uh, a tough spot for them, a, the, looking right past them. And... They almost got caught, but to put up 60, over 60-plus 60 points against Michigan, that was shocking to me. I was shocked. So to me, it was like old versus new. Okay. You have Jim Harborough trying to, in a modern way, and I'm not trying to say that this is the 1950s, 
reinvent Bo Schembecker. We're going to be tough on both sides of the ball. Don Brown, classic defensive team. Michigan built, you know, in a modern-day version, basically as a throwback type of team. And then you have Urban Meyer, who we've criticized often. But one thing about Urban Meyer is he's willing to change with the times and basically reinvent himself, um, much like companies that stay ahead, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than Kodak, you know, he'd rather be Apple. Sure, of course, obviously. And reinvent himself. And it was the old versus new, Mm -hmm. and it was almost as if they didn't know what hit them. You know, it really, it, it really was. And I think it, it, it's, it made me think about the Super Bowl. It made me think about Monday night and the transition going on. But as we go to the college playoffs, I, I, I have to ask you a question. Do you, you know, should the four best teams in the nation mm-hmm. be there based on majority opinion? Or if you, Alabama and Georgia play each other, should that be an elimination game? Again, a fair question. It's a question we honestly have every, every year, right? Because this year in particular, you have Alabama and Georgia playing each other in, right. in what may be an elimination game, may not be an elimination game. Notre Dame doesn't have that. That's and, true. And it becomes a very, very tough situation to handle where they don't have an extra conference championship game to play. Now, if Alabama loses to Georgia, do they deserve to be out? I don't know. I, I mean... In, in a fair world, right. probably not. Right. But you know what I would argue is that it's the playoffs and they had their chance. And I feel the same way. Against, I get that. I get against, it. Against, same way about Georgia. I feel, and I'm sure you feel the same way about Michigan and Ohio State, right? And then that wasn't a playoff game, but you need to win that game. You have to win that game. Right. And the way college football is set up, you have to win that game. Ohio State has to go in and beat Northwestern. Oklahoma has to go in and beat Texas. Texas. Yeah. Okay. I think they control their own destiny. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that if, unless it goes to overtime, I don't think a two-loss Georgia team, if they lose to Alabama, no, gets in. No way. But if Georgia beats Alabama, mm-hmm. based on the eye test, most people would say Alabama is one of the four best teams. They'd probably say that Georgia and Alabama are the two best teams. Sure. Okay. Uh, especially because. Clemson, while winning big, uh, I watched part of the game Saturday night. It, it looked like, you, you know, you know their secret, they were like, uh, South Carolina was running rampant through their sec- secondary. Mm-hmm. Their quarterback threw for 500 yards. But again, it's, it's a new game. So, mm-hmm. and, and Oklahoma, I mean, they don't even stop anybody, you know. They don't care. <laughs> they, they don't care. They're just going to outscore you. Sure. So... I, I don't know. I think that, you know, I vote for, you know, that this should be an elimination game. So if Georgia wins, Alabama's out. I would say so. But I'm going to be wrong about that. Correct. I'm going to be wrong about that. I think that, you know, the, we really don't know. I mean, we assume the SEC is so strong because of past performance. But Ohio State did go down and beat them. Ohio State's athletes are good enough to beat them. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, so that's the other question. Should the committee be asking... Who has a chance to win? Because if you ask me who has a better chance to beat Alabama, it may be no one this year, 
But I'd say Ohio State has a much, much better chance than Oklahoma. Where does Alabama rank as one of the, as the, one of the best teams you've ever seen? They won every game by 20-plus points. Ha- they have not been in a game at all this season at any point, it feels like. Well, you know, they moved up a huge level in my mind when they went into LSU and mm-hmm. shut them out. Sure. Because when you look at the NFL, you have Alabama, LSU, Georgia seem to be turning out the most players in the last few years. Theoretically, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and LSU is second to nobody. Oh. Maybe Alabama, but they recruit great athletes. I think Clemson comes to mind. Clemson, I agree, agree with you. And Ohio State, State, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, Saturday night, you have 85,000 people. The game's in LSU, mm-hmm. and everybody has Alabama as a big. Favorite, and right. you basically say, and we had this conversation, sure. that they recruit the same athletes. This should be a close game. But you know what the difference is? They recruit the same athletes. Alabama may get a few more of them, but they actually coach them better too. And going in to LSU, a team that you know, just demolished Miami, demolished everybody else down there, and, I, you know, and has probably seven to ten pros on it, that was pretty impressive. So I think they're pretty good. <laughs> I also think that, you know, Georgia's pretty good. And from what I've been reading, which may not be accurate, Georgia has like a stellar recruiting class coming in next year. And supposedly that gap is going to narrow. Georgia also has a veteran quarterback in Jake Fromm. They are it's so, fun. it's so funny, a veteran quarterback. He's a, he's a sophomore. sophomore. He's a sophomore. So is well, Tua. Of his, so is two, Tua. He's two-thirds done with his career. So is Tua. <laughs> he's two-thirds done with his career. They both are. They both are. So, but, he, you know, he, he, he's played in big games before. Georgia's defense has gotten better. Most of their key players are playing in the NFL. I mean, mm-hmm. most of their star, you know, Smith and Lorenzo Carter, they, they, they've put a lot of players into the NFL. So, if anyone can play with them, I, w- I would tend to believe it's, it's Georgia. Um, but if they do lose, I would be for giving somebody else a chance. I don't think they will. But, uh, you know, that's just the way I... And, and I don't see, honestly, and I love the underdog. And, you know, we can talk about the NCAA, you know, the NCAA basketball tournament and why there are upsets and football is a different sport. And I can explain while you see so many upsets in the NCAA basketball tournament that you don't see in the regular season. And if you follow the dollars, you can understand that. But Central Florida belongs in this conversation. Whether their quarterback is hurt or not hurt, they do not belong in this conversation. The best team they played was Cincinnati. Come on. Now, that is a problem because no one wants to schedule them. I understand that, that no major Division I wants to schedule them because you can't win. You can only lose. So I'm empathetic to that. But by the same token, I don't see how you can make an argument that if they played Mississippi, Mississippi State, Georgia, LSU, you know, Auburn, that they would be undefeated. I just can't make that argument. I agree. I, I, I very much agree that, I don't, that at this point you... And I said this to you a couple of weeks ago, that... To me, that Notre Dame aura is gone. Like, that's not a thing to me anymore. And that's just because of today's culture where you could watch every game with a, a click of a finger. And I'm actually kind of shocked that they still 
have the ability to get that national TV exposure um, on NBC and still An have that incredible national alumni still they, and still have that national alumni and still for all intents and purposes be a thing that they can still control their own destiny that they don't have to join a conference yet. That still surprises so me. Fame, interestingly, has benefited from being in the Midwest. So it truly has pulled a nat. You know, sometimes if you're in the middle, you're nowhere. But being in South Bend, Indiana, they actually have pulled people okay. from everywhere across the country. Mm-hmm. It has become an incredible academic school of the difficulty to get in close to, if not equal to, Vanderbilt and Duke. You know, really, really, you know, really, really academically challenging and prestigious. Um, but, you know, again, their schedule has been, it's a real schedule. I mean, they did go out to beat Stanford. You know, they did schedule USC. Yes, it was a down year for USC. But they scheduled it, yeah. That, that's an unusual game. They usually play the military academies who've gotten a little bit better. They, they played Syracuse in Yankee Stadium, which was a top 20 team, although they're not perennially. They played Pitt, and the ACC is down this year. Mm-hmm. And they did play Michigan this year, which made their schedule better. Now, they right. did play Michigan in the very first game of the year, but they did beat them mm-hmm. readily. You know, so you have to give them their due. And they, they had a 12-0 schedule. And, you know, it's interesting. If they were in the ACC, they may be playing Clemson. And I think that, you know, where do you, would you see them fourth no matter what happens, even though they're ranked third right now? I would see them four, absolutely. Absolutely. To me, they are the fourth best team. Will that, a committee do that? I don't know. But speaking of committees, I, I, I have to ask you about this. I want to ask you about this all day. So the college basketball committee always takes a lot of heat, right? Because there's, there's no universal, just like in college football, there's no universal system to rank that. We tried that with the BSCS, and it worked miserably, right? So in college basketball, they came out with a new system called NET which encompasses whatever the computers have it encompass. So judging by our eye test that we've watched in college basketball thus far this year, you look at Duke, you're like, all right, this is one of the best teams in the country. Gonzaga beat Duke. Okay, well, that makes sense. They're one of the best teams in the country. Michigan State's played well. Um, Tennessee's played very well. And judging by the eye test or so, and certainly the AP polls, you're... Right, you're conditioned to who are the best teams in the country. So, the NCAA today released their net rankings. Duke was number six. Okay. Gonzaga was number five. Okay. The number one team in the country, in their opinion, was Ohio State. When the coach of Ohio State was told this, he's just like, what? Number 10 was Loyola Marymount. <laughs> If the universal college basketball rankings have Loyola Marymount number 10 overall in the country, and I'm not saying Loyola Marymount isn't good, they're sure. Something is wrong here. Now, for all the reporters that I saw comment about this, there's not a big enough sample size to get the data to work how it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. But at that point, they're like, don't release this thing because it's just not nearly accurate. If- Virginia Tech is number nine. They have way where's too many I, big Where's my teams. buddy Fran McCaffrey's Iowa team? Hang they on, they I, should be pretty good. I have one. So uh, the Big Ten is ranked very, very highly in this. So Fran McCaffrey's Iowa Hawkeyes are number 15 in the country, according to Net. 
And number 20 in the AP poll. Number eight. My Maryland Terrapins are number 17 in this and number 24 in the AP poll. They love the Big Ten. Belmont is number 12 overall, according to net rankings. Houston, number 18 overall. Belmont may be the second best team in Nashville. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, so, so my guess is I haven't really looked at this, but from what you're saying, the problem with this is they're probably taking difference in score into account probably and weighting so. it too high. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, what's very interesting is you have to know how to schedule with these teams. So it's great for Duke to play Kentucky, but we'll, what they really don't want to do is play, you know, Marquette on the road. What they, they don't want to go into... Well, Marquette's now ACC, so it's hard because they've changed the conference. They don't want to go into a good mid-major, you, you know, go into a top MAC team or a top Ohio Valley team, play those teams on the road. Right. And there's, you play them at home, and here's what happens, mm-hmm. okay? When you play a Big Ten team, if you're South Dakota State and you're playing Michigan State in Michigan State, and Michigan State is not going to South Dakota, Okay. You are playing Michigan State in their home gym, whichever advantage that may be, with Big Ten referees. Now, we, t- oh, we talked about this last week. Yeah, college referees do not work for the NCAA. They work for the conference, and they're independent contractors, and they're trying to get two or three games. So it's possible that somebody will ref an Ivy League game in the afternoon for low pay and then ref a Big Ten game at night and get paid much, much higher. They want to get paid. There's this subtle thing when you work for the conference and then you get graded only by that conference. The South Dakota State rep, coach, and and athletic director are not rating you. So there's this subtle thing that goes on in college basketball where the mid-majors who come in are being refereed by the home conferences who are determining Mm -hmm. these guys' bread and butter. Yep. And and that's one of the reasons. Now, compare that to the NCAA tournament where all the referees are graded through the year and they work for the NCAA. Right. And you see a lot of times you see your Loyola Marymonts beating, especially today with the one and dones because the Northern Iowa's can be starting four seniors that get better with time, play together against teams that, you know, typically will have three freshmen who have not completely developed at the present time. Yeah, and, and, and you said this last week, what the referee, how much the referees matter and why the tournament is simply different than anything else really in sports. But, you know, again, we're always going to have people on the bubble, you know, and that's where, you know, on the bubble gets things. But very rarely are those teams going to get past the second week. More, and, 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 very and, rarely. It happens, it happens, but very rarely. You know, very rarely. Chicago last year. I mean, no, they, they were a Cinderella, but they weren't really, they had a great record during the regular they were, season. Well, they were great, yeah. You know, and, and you know, the argument about them would have been, should, should that be a two-tournament bid? By the way, we mentioned Fran McCaffrey. Fran McCaffrey is the only person in, the, in, in college basketball that's taken three teams that were single-conference single, single, single conference bids to the NCAA tournament. Speaking of referees, I, I wanted to actually mention this, because our last show was, of course, before uh, Kansas City and Los Angeles played last Monday night. And the NFL did something that I've never seen before. Maybe you have, and I've never seen this. The All-Star Crew. The All-Star Crew, exactly. It was Monday Night Football where they had a referee, who actually Jerome Bogar, who has refereed a Super Bowl before. And knowing what kind of big game it was between 
two of, if not the two, best teams in the NFL. They replaced Bogar with a different referee, who I assume they feel is better. They replaced this referee's crew with what they believe are all-star crews. Now, they did this in the playoffs. They went away from it for a while, where they just had crews go together because it built up that continuity. Then they went back to the all-star crews because they didn't think it was fair. If some guys are great, and you're stuck on a bad crew and whatnot. And they did this in week 11 of the NFL season. This isn't week 16 with playoff spots on the line. This isn't the first round of the playoffs. This isn't the Super Bowl. This is a week 11 football game that is between two conferences. Maybe a preview of the Super Bowl, sure. But they knew how many eyeballs they would have on it. They knew it was in prime time. They knew what the stakes were. They knew it was L.A. And they brought in all-star crews. What do you think of that, Doc? You know, I think it's kind of interesting with replay... And, you know, earlier in the year, I believe there was a referee that was terminated. or There was an official that was terminated. That's correct. You know, which was the first time. That it, it seems like they're being scrutinized at a higher level than ever before. But is that a bad thing? I'm not sure. You know, it, they're, they're, it, it's too early for me to answer that question. There are always unintended consequences. I think baseball has suffered by trying to get the umpires perfect. I mean, back in the day when I started watching baseball, I remember Manny Sanguian on, 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 on Kiner's Corner when they said, how come you don't take any walks? He said, because you can't walk off the island. You know, and then I found out Panama is actually in Central America and you can't actually walk here from Panama where he's from. But, you know, that was the, the thought process. If you were going to be a foreign ball player, you couldn't walk. And if you go back and you watch old baseball games, they called the black of the plate. People came up and they swung the bat and the game was over. Now when you get to computers, it's all about working the pitcher and stuff like that. It's become more about chess than it's become playing a sport. Okay. So sometimes you want, you know, there's never going to be a perfectly refereed game as long as the referees call it, allow them to play, and it's fair for both sides, I, I, I'm okay with the human element. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm weird. You know, basketball the same way. I, I think that you put three referees and you try to improve it. Yeah, you make more calls. Maybe they're slightly more accurate, but you ruin the flow of the game. I mean, some of these football games with all these flags, because if they don't call it, are, are absolutely terrible. I, I, I kind of liked in the old days when they kind of let him play. So um, I've had this conversation with others and that have been on your side of that. Like, let them play. There's human error. It happens. And I'm completely on the other side of that because I believe that if we have the technology to get it right, why wouldn't we do that? And I specifically think of a play yesterday where I was looking for a football in here. But there was a play yesterday where somebody got tackled. He's on the ground. He's literally on the ground, and the ball hits the ground. He's on the ground, and then it just rolls away from him, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody on the other team picks it up, runs into the end zone. And they call that a fumble and a touchdown. I'm like, I could sit on my couch and see with my own eyes. That wasn't even close. It was not even close. And they ruled it a touchdown. And I was saying to who I was watching the game with yesterday, and I go, 
before, how could you ever have not had replay if that would have counted as a touchdown? That would have changed everything, and that's not right. So first of all, I don't have a problem with replay like they did it on turnovers and, okay. and touchdowns. Scoring, yeah. You know, or, um, but what I will tell you is that the games are being refereed differently because of replay. So, so you'll it, err on the side of the turnover. You'll err, you'll err on, on the side, side of the score. Uh, uh, right. And that's, they probably figured we, we're not a hundred percent sure. I don't want to, you know, blow my whistle and then be shown wrong. I'll let the play go out and then we're going to review it. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay and, with that answer. And, 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 and that may be happening more and more. But where are you going to draw the line? Right. You know, I, I think that one of the times, you know, again, the rule in the NFL is that you can't push somebody out of bounds. Mm-hmm. I always wonder, and past five yards, I always wonder when they push the receiver out of bounds and then the receiver comes back and catches the ball, they drop the flag that the guy can't come back in from out of bounds. be the first person to touch it. Okay. But then that guy's illegal contact because it's past five yards was what caused him to go out of bounds. Right. How can you have it both ways? Right. But that's, I've never, ever seen that called in my life. Nor will you ever. So the, the point is, where do, you draw the, 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 where do you draw these lines? You know, you watch every single football game. I, I think you can call illegal contact on every single play. Know that about it. You know know in, that about it. In, in the secondary. I think you can call it. A, and as long as it's consistent and the players have an idea, I, I you know, really don't care. And I, I think that, you know, I think wide open is good. I think some of the rule changes are absolutely exceptional. But I also think, as you said, if I'm building a team, I'm going to take advantage of it. You know, in business... People look at, you know, short-term trends, near trends, and long-term trends. And I think that's the difference between the innovators. They understand where the game is going. And the game, you saw the future in the last group of big games. I'm not going to just say the Los Angeles-Kansas City Chief game because that was a duplicate of the Super Bowl. The the Eagles, with two weeks to prepare on a dome setting, Neither the Eagles or the Patriots could stop each other. You know, it was just a question who yep. was going to have the ball last. Yep. And, and, and it was. And there's a lot of games that are like that now where the only question is who will have the ball last. It's also crazy. You know, we talk a lot about how horrible kickers are. But there's some kickers, man. You look at the, the Giants, how many times they've lost on a 60-yard field goal over the last couple of years or a deep 50-yard field goal. That's just coming clutch. And I, I think I find it interesting who has the ability to do that and, and who doesn't? And, and how much it changes week to week. Graham Gano's been a goat the last two weeks. He had a 64-yard field goal to beat the Giants to win it, to win it a couple weeks ago. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. Years ago when, you know, Pete Gogolak and Jan Stenerud were the first soccer-style kickers, sure. 40 yards was a far fa- field goal. Right. And 50 yards was like a womb. And Tom Dempsey mm-hmm. kicks the 63-yarder. Six, yeah. First 63. Mm-hmm. And probably the only person that's kicked the 60 yards that's, that was a straight-on kicker. And, you know, he had a, a, an amputated leg at some point in time. Now, actually, you, you look at these guys, and, and first of all, I think if you can't kick it 60 yards, you won't have a job. I, I mean, again, I think they're reluctant to try it except at the end of halves because of field position. Now, so now, and I agree with that. And you spoke about Chris Spielman and, and Tom Brenneman a few moments ago. And they, they were saying at the end of the first half in that Giant game, 
that there's a long kick for Rosas. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's a 51-yarder. These guys should hit 51-yarders in their sleep today. And I know we have a lot of problems with kickers. Well, they all have the leg to take a 51-yarder at oh, this absolutely. point. So they're like, this is a really long one. I'm like, it's a 50-yard field goal. They have to be expected to hit these. That was one of my many problems with the announcing yesterday. But I do digress. Um, now, anyway, moving on from, from Week 12 and, and moving on, i got to ask your, your thoughts here, Doc, on what took place the day after Thanksgiving, and that was Phil versus Tiger, the match. Did you watch the match? Of course not. I think that, you know, that had to be, you know, I guess the pay-per-view failed. Miserably. miserably. Uh, you know, again, why would I have any interest at all? Now, I'll play golf socially. I belong to a club. Okay. I don't, you know, live for golf. It can get a little bit slow for me. But number one, Bill and Tiger have played match play in the Ryder Cup. Neither of them have been invincible. Watching them play match cup, to me, I think would be even less exciting than watching the last round of the Masters, where at least you have other golfers for Phil, you know, and I don't mean Phil in that place, to fill in, to, to watch them walk. I think that, again, it's a sad state on golf that you're promoting, that unless you can reinvent Tiger, I mean, the best thing that happened to golf is that Tiger is able to play status post his fusion, which I think is exceptional, and we talked about it, but it also says something about golf, you know, to some degree. And it also says something about the popularity of golf in the upcoming young generation that sure. if Tiger's not involved, no one cares. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And, and you know, again, they, you know, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson was not Ali Frazier. That would be more like Ali versus me. I mean, you know, Phil Mickelson had a great golf career. He has a lot of fans. He's made a ton of money. But he's never even been the number one player in the world. So to try to make that like a rivalry just falls completely flat on its face. I don't know if that's fair because I think we've always seen it, or I've always seen it as a golf fan, as always Tiger and Phil. Like, that was the generation. That was it to me. It was Tiger and Phil. But it was one and two. Yes, Okay, it was one and two. It was not Brady and Manning, where right. you can make your argument Brady was a better playoff quarterback, yep. Manning was, was a regular be- the best player. regular season quarterback, yep. and you know, is, is that a product of Belichick or who was the better player? It was not Ali Frazier. It was not Magic versus Bird. I mean, what argument could you make for Phil Mickelson? No one said, you know, you know when Phil's involved or anything like that. Uh, you know, when Tiger Woods wasn't involved in the tournament and Phil Mickelson was, were there any ratings? I mean, Phil Mickelson is to golf what Stan Warinker is to tennis. That seems harsh now. Stan Warinker's a great tennis player. How he many, won several many, grand slams. How many grand slams does Stan Warinker won? A three. Well, I'm looking it up now. Okay. I mean, he's, he, he, he's right in the level behind Djokovic. He's won, he's won three, that is correct. Okay, he's right in the level behind Djokovic, Nadal, and, and Federer. Right underneath that level, you have Stan Wawrinka and Andy Murray. So he's won three. He, Phil Mickelson has won one, two, three, four, five, six. He's won six. That's it's a double different the sport. Stan Wawrinka. Yeah, but tw- it's a different sport, though. Sure it is, but it, it, the, the Grand Slams matter just as much as four Grand Slams. I think he... he, he, he but again, he's been in that second. He, you know, 
He's never been the number one player in the world. So you, but I'd much rather see Tiger versus Phil than Tiger versus David Duval, who was the number one player in the world. Okay. But, I mean, honestly, who really wanted to see either of that? You've seen them in the Ryder Cup play match play. Well, together. You see them, together. You've, right. You, you know, you've seen them play the Masters. If Phil won, you know, in, by five holes, you know, and this thing was over early, would it have changed your opinion? No. So what did the match play do? It was a made-for-television event that fell flat on its face. Right. Now, do you think if they would have done it 10 years ago, it would have been different? Um, no, because, again, 10 years ago, Tiger, one, Tiger would have never played because he could have only lost. Right. Okay? Sure. So that goes back to what we're talking about, college basketball. Right. He could have only lost. Great point. Okay? Great point. So he never would have done it. I mean, you know, this is kind of like, you know, the, the movies that are made where the old guys rob a bank. I mean, you know, they, they both have nothing to lose. Type of deal because it, worse it's it's nostalgic. So, no, I, you know, again, I don't think match golf in a made-to-TV event when they've played against each other all the weeks. Yes, it's a little bit different than match play. Really moves the envelope, in my opinion. Okay. Would you rather see Jordan Spieth versus Rory McIlroy? Nobody else. Will, nobody's gonna watch that. I don't think anybody's going to watch any of these okay. match plays. Right. I, I mean, to be per- unless you're a true, you know, unless you're somebody that watches, you know, the first Hawaiian golf tournament of the year and watches golf every single week and watches the Golf Channel because you love golf, which is great. Sure. I mean, I think it's the same person watching golf that would watch, you know, Maryland play um you know, Maryland, pick a good team. Maryland play Purdue. Good game in the Big Ten. Sure. Okay? You know, that's going to be a real college basketball fan as opposed to the person who watches North Carolina Duke. Right. Right. Okay? I get it. You know, that, that, that's what I say. And I, I don't mean to be disparaging because Maryland's a top 20 team. Purdue's a top 20 yeah. team. That's sure. what I see. Sure. I, I, I can't imagine that anybody take time of the day off on Friday to really say I have to sit in front of my TV and watch that. I'll say this. I was off on a Friday, and I enjoyed my day, and I said this all day on the air. I, I, I sat, and I watched TV, and I, you know, I met my, my mom for dinner on a Friday night. I'd be lying to you if I didn't check in at some point, that I wasn't interested in seeing what was happening, that I went to a bar for a drink before dinner, and people in the bar were talking about it. They were. They're, they're, they're better sports fans than me, man. The, I only, thing I saw was, I, the only thing I saw was across the bottom of my ticker when I was watching, I guess, a game Friday night. College football. College football mm-hmm. Friday night. I think Oklahoma was the Oklahoma-West Virginia yep. Friday night. Yes, it was. So I was watching the Oklahoma, and I saw that, that, that it ended in the 22nd hole. Yeah. And I said, whoop-de-doo. Sure. You know, which was, I was interested. You know, I, was, I wanted to know who was going to win. I really did. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the NBA. I, was coming in, it, I, I get up very, very early in the morning, and I was listening to the radio. And Fantasy uh, Sports Network, of course. What Fantasy Sports <laughs> Network? No, actually, it, it was it was it was somebody on the air who I couldn't disagree with more. Okay. And and basically, they were saying that the Knicks were the biggest losers in New York because they've won three games in a row because they're not tanking well. And you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on that because I, I think in today's NBA that's one hundred percent wrong. Okay. I think that that would be true. 
if they were playing, you know, if they went out and they traded for three veteran players and Courtney Lee was leading them in scoring and nobody figured for the future. But right now, if you win games this year and you're developing talent, I think that learning how to win and learning how to play in this league is going to make you, A, very, very desirable, and you're going to take, it does take more, you know, we tend to believe the NBA is a singular sport, and that's true if you have LeBron James maybe on your league, but there are very few, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you is who do you think the second best player in the NBA is? Right. But I think, number one, talent wants talent, and if the Knicks can develop talent and begin to move in the right direction, I think that's beneficial. You know, if you're playing Alonzo Trier 25 minutes a game, mm-hmm. you're playing Mitchell Robinson 20 minutes a game, mm-hmm. you're playing, well, Knox sometimes 12 minutes or so, Hardaway probably figures in the future. Cantor may be playing himself into the future. It remains to be seen. But if you can develop two key rotation pieces, you know, especially these guys are coming into the league at 19 years old. We talk about other sports where they reach their peak in 26 and 27. Here, here we've kind of labeled some of them as failures. We brought up Victor Oladipo sure. on his third team. Yeah. So I think developing talent really means something. And, you know, I think that the naive people, you know, always believe the next player you're drafting is going to be the best player. But it's going to be another 19-year-old. Zion Williamson, you know, praying for Zion or something, crying... He is a beautiful-looking athletic prospect, but you know he's six foot six, can't shoot straight yeah. at this point in time. Will develop. Who do you think he's contemporous with? You know that was a great NBA player. You know, there's a lot of work that remains to be seen. There does. And 19 and 20 years old, these guys are not nearly complete players. And the Knicks. I understand what the host was trying to get at, that in the long term you're, you're hurting yourself, and that's fine. But we're in November. We are in November. These kids that are getting their second chances, that are in their rookie seasons, we've got to see if they are part of the future. What you, you're not going to tell these kids that to lose. You're not going to send these old veterans out here and say, you know, put you out there because you stink. No, these guys are trying to earn a job. These guys are trying to make money. You know, they, they have very short memories. The point guard that they got from Denver, who's played very well, he's back in the starting lineup, um, you know, the... Uh, Mad- Daniel Moutier. Moutier. Yeah, yeah. Moutier, they, there was conversations that Moutier should have been picked ahead of Porzingis back then. You know, now it's only four years later, and you know, he may just be figuring it out. You, you know, he, he had a monster jam the other, the, the other day. He may be figuring it out. And... You know, if Moutier figures it out or Trey Burke, who was another lottery pick, figures it out, if one of the two of them figure it out and Knox develops to some extent, you just play it out. That, that, that's what it's really about. One of the things we, 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 we started last week, we were talking a lot about the Warriors and the Draymond Green, yeah. Evan Durant. And yeah. as I was leaving, it made me think for a question if, we were drafting, and we're drafting for this year. We're not drafting for 20 years. We're okay. choosing up sides. In the schoolyard, you know, evens, odds, I go first, okay. and I pick LeBron James. You go second. I'll even give you two and three. Okay? Who are you taking? My first answer and my initial instinct when you ask me that question is Kevin Durant. 
And that's that my was answer. always my instinct until I left the studio last week. That's and I kind of thought about it for a while and, you know, really thought back to his career when, you know, obviously they made that one finals with Hawden and with Russell Westbrook. Right. Um, then he goes to Golden State where he's been great, but, you know, Steph Curry goes down and, you know, they it's lose. not the same. Not, not exactly the same. And I wonder if, if I would still take him, you know, the, the, you know and, and then I thought about it, okay, if I wasn't going to take him, who would I take? Huh? And believe it or not, the two names, the, there were three names that came to me. Okay. One was the Greek Freak. All right. Okay. Two, as much as I've panned him for the, his behavior in San Antonio, I can't argue that Kawhi Leonard has made, been a huge difference maker. And the third would probably be Anthony Davis. So I, but, I, I, but, I don't. But again, but then, then I think that I'm shorting Steph Curry. You are, you absolutely are, and 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 it's really, really amazing. And I came back to this point: is Steph Curry? We we keep on saying Draymond Green's the key, Kevin Durant's the key. You know, Steph Curry has changed basketball from an inside-out game to an outside-in, and he's just extended the court another ten feet. Yeah, and and he just opens up everything. You know, are you getting? What are you getting if you sign Clay Thompson? Are you getting a great player? Or are you getting somebody that Steph Curry made great? I think it's a question that teams are going to find out in the future. And I think, to me, you gave me two and three. My answers would have been Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. I believe okay. two of the best three players are on one team in the NBA, which is crazy. Okay, and yeah. let me, you know, what's really, really strange... You're talking about this year. You didn't say for the future. You said no, right I'm now, today. Right now, right now. And the other person, and I guess it's because, you know, he, 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 he's pulled some Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. But regular season, James Harden's been, this, you know, on his own has been incredible with Houston. Yeah. He really has. But he hasn't gotten it done in the playoffs. Or at least in certain games in the playoffs. Or at least in certain games in the playoffs. And the problem with Harden always is, he not play defense. Not like Steph Curry plays defense, but James Harden also doesn't play defense. And I think that's a major, major issue. So Kevin Durant certainly does. Doc, we're wrapping up. You got anything, anything else? Anything buzzing around you? I know you're off for the next week or so. So we'll be back uh, wait, go, going to the land of uh, of Israel to, for uh, a medical awesome uh, a, a me- medical conference. And I guess when we come back, you know, we'll be able next uh, next Monday. I guess well the the selection show I guess is next Sunday, right, for the NCAA's. Is it, is, it, is, it next, is it next Sunday, or is it, the, or is it the Tuesday after that? Well, I think they do it Tuesday night, and then they do it the Sunday okay. after, after all after the games, the games are, are over. Okay. Or after all the games are played. Right. Any predictions? Does you know, Texas-Oklahoma, does Oklahoma hold? I think or, they do. I think they do. I think they, I think they hold off. And I think Alabama beats Georgia, so it's not even a, there's nothing to talk about. So, I don't think two lost Georgia All right, in. so and Ohio State puts a number on Northwestern? Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll run up over. the score on Northwestern, which is interesting. Do you like them? Oh, they're pretty close. By the way, Gus Johnson was just reaping praise on Urban Meyer throughout this game on Saturday. And it was like, I felt gross listening to it. You know I love Gus Johnson. I just felt gross listening to it. Well, again, Big Ten Network. I, and you're at, Fox owns it. I get it. Big Ten Network. Mm-hmm. Okay? You know, follow the money. And you know what? The Big Ten Network needs Urban Meyer back. The last thing they need 
is an open job at Ohio State and Michigan. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right about that. And that's how we're going to wrap things up today, Doc. The Big Ten Network, Fox, it all makes sense when you just put it out there and you just hear it. You listen. And I hope you enjoyed listening and watching Doc Jock today. We'll be back Monday after Dr. Mitchell Roslin's trip to the Holy Land. It is really back next Monday. We'll have a college football playoff to talk about. We'll have the, week, the fantasy football playoffs will start for all of us. And God knows what will go on in the NBA. For Dr. Mitchell Roslin, my name is Greg Sussman. Thank you so much for watching. Like us and subscribe on the, on the podcast and watch us live on YouTube. We'll see you next Monday, everybody. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time.